Our next scripture reading this morning comes from the book of the Revelation. The book of the Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, brothers and sisters, that book that you should rather stay away from. Um, But it's always too late by the time I realize I should have stayed away from it. So Revelation chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 9 through 17, according to the lectionary. This whole chapter, of course, forms a unit, uh, verses 1 through 17. And may I also say that I think I selected it on Easter Sunday. You know, in that glow of churches, worship services filled. So many different people coming from everywhere to worship. So this sounded like a great text on this Sunday after we returned from South Africa. So let us listen to God's word for us this morning. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, You are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Almighty God, to whom all honor belongs, you have gathered the people from every tribe and language to praise your name eternally. O shepherd of souls, you call us here at Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church to an abundant feast at the table of your word. Open our hearts to feed on your goodness, that by the power of the Holy Spirit we might dwell ever more deeply in you. Amen. One of the big problems with the book Revelation is how do we interpret it? There are many ways to look at it. Mostly people think about Revelation as a book that has to do with history. There's the preterist view, understanding, that says that this book is almost fulfilled, that what happens in in Revelation happened in the first century church, and that there's just a little bit of things that will happen at the end of times. You know that Armageddon and the other things that you hear about all the time. There's also 
a historic understanding which says that the book is the history of the church. So if you want to understand something about the church, go read in the book of Revelation. It totally confused me, but okay. Some other people think it has to do with the future. This is how we will know what's going to happen in the future when you read Revelation. And it's all about threats and threatening us and and driving us nuts. Making every one of us afraid so that we don't want to sleep at night. There's of course what I lean towards, a kind of a symbolic understanding that this is all um, as a spiritual application. That it has to do with the church. That if you know the Old Testament and the, the, the other books, you get all the, the images back in the book of Revelation. And of course, John added his own flavor of, of interpretation and, and hiding a message in this book. There's an eclectic understanding where you pick what you want. And depending on the text that you get, it's either historic or it's uh, futuristic or whatever it is. But what's true to me, brothers and sisters, is that this book is truly a divine book, like all the other books in the Bible. This is what we call apocalyptic literature. It means it opens the lid a little bit so that we can see into God's work into this world. It's written for the church, the church of the past and the present and the future. It wants to lift us up out of our circumstances to look down and to get a little perspective and to understand how God is working. I have said it, but the Bible interprets Revelation. And if you come to think about it, Jesus is the center of this book. It is all about the Lamb, the triumphant Lamb, who's coming back to unite God's people and to be with God's people and to be a sign of God's presence in the life, uh, in the world. But sometimes, just sometimes I think that even we as faithful people need different eyes to see. Or maybe, brothers and sisters, we need to focus more on the unreasonableness of our faith. To know that there are things that we cannot explain. And things that we will probably never understand if we don't believe it we as God's people living in this world need the unreasonableness to see resurrection and to see new life around us this reading comes from a greater unit of Revelation chapter 6 to 9 and in these chapters John announces God's judgment on the earth and please go do yourself a favor and it's an easy read It's an interesting read. Go home and read chapter 6 to 9 of Revelation to be comforted in the world that we live in. In these chapters, we find two sets of parallel judgments, one in chapter 6, one in chapter 7, in chapter 8. Chapter 6, the first set of, of, of judgments, And then in chapter 8. And these two sets of judgments uh, is interrupted by chapter 7, which we will get back to now. A few things to hold on to. 7 is God's number in the whole Bible. Not only in Revelation, but everywhere. 
Seven is made up of three plus four. And three, we know, we heard it this morning, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. But four has to do with the four corners of the world. It is God's creation. It is here where God is present. It is where we, here where we can get to know God. Not as a far of God, but as a God who is present in this creation. But God is experienced in relationships. Number 12, which we, will, uh, we get at the beginning of chapter 7, three times four. Again, God and the four corners, but God actively working. And not only observing, but actively working and present. And brothers and sisters, when we come to think of it, it means that we can only know God in truth, in relationships. It's only when we start to think about the triune God in interrelations between the three persons that we might get a glimpse of who this God really is. God in relationship with creation. God in relationship with the church. God in relationship with every one of us. And then, of course, we in relationship with God and finding God in relationship with each other. And when we get into a relationship with creation, the picture that we get in Revelation 6 and 8, uh, 8 is one of total devastation and punishment. The destruction is so bad that the sky disappears, that the mountains and the islands are taken away. It's as if they melt away. God's judgment against the earth and its inhabitants brings cosmic events, which is so terrifying that the powerful and the rich, that the kings of the earth prefer death to the wrath of the Lamb. And then we get chapter 7, which we read today. Only a part of it. This chapter 7 offers a welcome break from the scenes of destruction and devastation and the wrath of the Lamb. And I was thinking maybe we are not all that much surprised when we start to think in practical terms about this break. You see, just before John's description of God's judgment on the earth overwhelms us, the angel holds back the winds of judgment and John sees a countless multitude. And this number also holds the sense of completeness. If you read the first the first uh, verses of chapter 7, you will see it's 144,000, 12,000 from, 12, from each tribe. Three times four, God's work in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, 144,000. But this chaos is suspended for a short while. And what do people do? They worship. They come together to acknowledge the people who God has Saved the people who worship the Lamb. And maybe, I thought, maybe John wanted to affirm what we know. Or maybe wanted us to see the truth that's all around us. The truth, brothers and sisters, that when it seems as if the unfolding of history is suddenly off track, when chaos seems to reign, God's people respond by worshiping. Because worship matters. Do you know when bad news comes home, 
What do we do? When the world around us seems more and more in deep trouble, what do God's people do? I've wondered if it's because worship is the surest sign of new life. Is it here where we discover ourselves as people who have been reborn? Is it the place where we see God's people resurrected coming to this place with new hope? Is it the place where sometimes we want to hide away? I wonder why it is that we are touched so deeply when, when, when something in the church goes wrong. Why do we have so many damaged people after the history that we had with each other? Revelation, brothers and sisters, shows us what truly happens in worship. As this uncountable worshiping crowd with the angels and the elders worship God. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You see, this is to me the wonder of our worship. That diverse people, even us this morning, people from everywhere, from every standing in life, people from every nation and tribes and people and languages can come together for a short while. And forget how much we differ from each other. It's interesting that John continues to use the language of diversity. As he talks both about the Lamb's followers and the opponents of the Lamb of Jesus. Meaning that we don't miraculously merge into one people without diversity. Because we know that it is in this diversity that we find strength and that we find unity. When we as God's people manage to forget the differences and begin to worship the one true God, knowing that our differences are in the end not important because everything and every action concludes and is centered in joyful praise of God. And do you wonder whether this will only be true in the future? True in heaven when everything is fulfilled in Christ? Or did John see the multitude worship in the year and now? Revelation doesn't get caught up in our understanding of time and chronology. Revelation wants to give perspective. Wants to give us a different understanding of our time and space. So John describes the world as we know it. But he says it's not only a flat level, a one dimension world that we live in. There's also a heavenly dimension and a heavenly understanding. In Revelation we get how God's future unfolds in spite of world powers. In spite of everything that we experience around us. And brothers and sisters, I hope you know, as we all know, that God's future often impacts us in our here and now in ways that confounds our sense of what is real. Is the resurrection real? Is the fact that we are, as different people, can come together and worship, is that real? 
past future is unfolding in ways that impacts us and confounds our sense of what is real. And sometimes, sometimes we manage to see beyond this life, allowing us to experience something of God's future. When we together as a worshiping community in our singing and our praying, in our doing. Therefore, our, our worship service this morning is already somewhat of the past that we get in Revelation. For a few moments we get here and we forget about our past. We forget about the, the daily problems which influence our lives. We forget about our children and what they're up to today. And our parents. And we forget about war and, and Ukraine and the world powers and the economy. Not because these things are not there anymore. Not because they don't influence our lives any longer. But because we want to sing about the reality of God. The reality of a living God who, who loves us so much. That he gave his only son. Yes, and therefore we call ourselves people with white clothes. You see, when you go to Revelation, you find worship in many places. It's always in good places and in bad places. When, when John enters the heavenly throne room in chapter 4, when the Lamb takes the scrolls to open the future of this world, chapter 5, as we sit and wait in suspense for the seventh trumpet, chapter, uh, for the seventh seal to be opened, chapter 7, or the blowing of the seventh trumpet, chapter 11, just before the angels receive the seven bowls for this third set of judgments in chapter 15, there's always singing and worshiping. Singing and worship happen in Revelation in all kinds of circumstances. Perhaps not only to affirm the justice of God's ways, but to find the solace in knowing that God continues to work resurrection in each of us. To continue that it wasn't only on Easter Sunday, but that we're on this journey of becoming new people, recreated in God's image. And so we come to worship. Maybe it is with hope. Maybe it is heavenly hope. Maybe it recreates something of heaven here where we worship now. Because we are people. Because we live in a world that's not perfect. But we continue, brothers and sisters, to experience the resurrection in our own lives. We see it in the world around us. I see it here in Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church. Maybe we all need new eyes. Maybe we need to see how hope changes the reality that we live in every day. Amen.